0: You're listening to episode 66 with Jim Estill, CEO of Danby Appliances. You're listening to The Multiplier Effect, an Endeavor podcast.
1: My strong recommendation is get good at video selling because, and and I don't mean like YouTube and sending uh, videos, get good at doing conversations on video. Like I said, you can probably set up more calls than you could in the old world. I'm a big advocate of LinkedIn, so I use LinkedIn all the time. One way to sell is having commonalities.
0: Welcome back, listeners, to an all-new episode of The Multiplier Effect. This past year, Endeavor launched a new regional office in Calgary. We're excited to bring for the first time on the show, Chris Buckman, Managing Director of Endeavor Canada, to interview Jim Estill, CEO of of Danby Appliances, which is a fascinating story of growing his own technology distribution business from the trunk of his car to more than two billion in sales. He is an investor, advisor, and board member to many technology businesses, including BlackBerry, formerly Research and Motion REM, where he served as a founding director for thirteen years. He has also written two books. One on time management called Time Leadership, Using the Secrets of Leadership for Time Management. And more recently, Zero to Two Billion, the marketing and branding story behind the growth. But mostly he claims he is a humanitarian, trying to do the right thing, which sounds like the Endeavor Network to me. So Chris, let's take it away.
2: Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's episode on the multiplier effect. I'm Chris Buckman, Managing Director of Endeavor Canada. It's my privilege to be hosting such an amazing individual and entrepreneur who is no other than Jim Estel. Jim, thank you so much for joining us today and welcome to the Multiplier Effect podcast. Well, thanks for having me.
1: Looking forward to it.
2: Jim, I'm so grateful to have you as, as one of my founding directors for our recently launched Endeavor Canada office. Today, we're going to talk about scaling your business through sales, which I think you know a little bit about. But for some of our listeners, they may not know your, your entrepreneurial backstory. Would you be able to share your your backstory with us?
1: No, actually, I'm just teasing. <laughs> so <laughs> I was in university taking engineering. I needed a computer to design circuit boards, which is what I thought I wanted to do. And I got a better deal if I bought two of them. So I bought two and sold one. Then someone else wanted one. So I bought another two. And then someone needed a printer. Then someone needed a monitor and some software. And next thing you know, I'm buying and selling computer, hardware, software, and peripherals. And uh, I grew that business eventually to $2 billion um, in sales. I retired, moved to New York for five years. My dad got sick, so I moved back to Guelph. And I sat on the board of this company, Danby Appliances, and the CEO resigned. And I said, oh, I could come in and run it. And then as I started running a business again, I said, that's what I want to do. That'll be my next decade. And then they said well, they want me to sell the business, and I said, "Well, how much for?" They told me, and I said, "Great, I'll take it." So I I bought the business, Danby Appliances. After I ran it for about a year, so that's my that's my backstory. But of course, that happened over many many years. So there's lots and lots of tributaries and stuff that goes
2: out from there. Thank you so much for sharing that backstory, Jim. That's just fantastic. Jim, let's dive right into the topic today: scaling your business through sales. Jim, when you when I look at entrepreneurs and the two skills that I think every entrepreneur needs to be good at, those two would be sales and leadership. Would you agree? Completely,
1: completely. It all starts with sales. It all starts with sales.
2: You don't sell anything. You have no business. <laughs> so when when looking at the pandemic and post-pandemic sales teams for your business, what what do you think you should be looking for in hiring for those high-performing sales individuals For scaling your business.
1: Well, the interesting thing about the best salespeople are simply good at follow-up. Polite, persistent, nice, and follow-up and work hard. That's really all sales are. I remember when I was in high school, I painted houses. And my competitive advantage was I showed up when I said I was going to show up. And I was polite and took my shoes off when I went into someone's house. That was about it. That's my competitive advantage, but that works and it still works today. The number of salespeople who don't return calls. Now, your question around pandemic is a really good one because pre pandemic, much of the selling was done in person and much of it was done at trade shows and much of it was done, you know, it was done in person. Pre pandemic, we don't remember this, but not every customer would take a video call. Like it it was, oh, it's a big deal. I got to get my IT director to set up a video call. No, we don't do video calls. Fly into Atlanta and, you know, Meet me at ten o'clock in the morning. So you fly in the night before. So the efficiency in what we can do today with video, I can talk to someone in Atlanta at nine o'clock and someone in Ottawa at ten o'clock and someone in uh, Chicago at eleven o'clock. So you can you can get more meetings in, but you don't develop quite the same rapport as in person. But my strong recommendation is get good at video selling because, and, and I don't mean you know, tradi- like YouTube and sending videos. Get good at doing. Conversations on video.
2: So, so just diving a little bit deeper on the digital world, and and obviously, you know, over my career in sales, one of, one of the biggest value adds that that for me personally was again meeting people in person. But it's it's building that network. So, how do you suggest in this new digital world, virtual world, that that people go about networking for their sales?
1: Well, you, you can do it just like pre-pandemic, and that is. You, you can send emails. You can call people. You can set up video calls. And like I said, you can probably set up more calls than you could in the old world. I'm a big advocate of LinkedIn, so I use LinkedIn all the time. And uh, the beauty of LinkedIn is everyone keeps their resume online. And and when you see you you you, and one way to sell is having commonalities. So I said, oh, you went to the University of Waterloo. Oh, you you. It, it could be a, a a weak commonality, but at least you can see
2: commonalities. And and Jim, when you look at at the many businesses and and you know groups that you've been involved in, a big thing that I think there's there's a shift happening and looking at what businesses are looking at for for culture, what what do you think is the most important culture that creates that best opportunity for success? So culture is not one
1: thing, culture is everything, and culture is extremely hard to define. That's why we have problems with culture, but culture is how do people make decisions? Now, I believe if you're scaling a business, the leader's job is to coach on culture and let everyone else make the decisions. But if you're gonna coach on culture, you need to know what does that culture mean? So it's, you know, I don't want to go in the office and see, oh, we painted the classroom, and if, if, and then and they get the bill and say, oh, that cost $5,000. Well, did we get three quotes? It's not in culture on that. On the other hand, I don't also want to flame someone and say, well, how come you pick that color? What's my expertise in colors? Zero. So coach on culture, let everyone else make decisions.
2: And Jim, where what's your perspective on, you know, there's there's several slogans out there over the years in, in the tech community around failing fast and, and what what related to sales, you know, and, and I've been there where, you know, it was it was cold call after cold call, and finally after the 20th cold call, they they said yes to a meeting where, where do you sit with with that culture around fail fail fast
1: so so every podcast i do i talk about fail often, fail fast fail cheap so it's all three it's not just fail fast it's fail often fail fast fail cheap and the fail often is trying more and if you're in sales you need to make 20 calls well let's make 25 calls let's make 50 calls failing cheap is uh not getting on a plane and flying to chicago for one meeting it's uh basically not putting all the all the chips on the table. But going back to the first thing I said about sales, it's about follow-up. I know I have salespeople who have approached me to, to sell me something that I occasionally buy, but I don't have an immediate need for it. And then a year later, two years later, I said, oh yeah, I, I want to buy some, Promo items. What am I going to buy? Let's buy mugs this year or or whatever. Who was that guy that came in two years ago? I don't remember because in the interim, I've had eight other people who've sent me stuff. And how do you... So you have to keep in touch with people so that you're not forgotten. And that's just persistence, polite persistence, not pushy persistence. The other trick is if you can help someone, they will generally try to help you. And so... Spend time trying to help them, even if there's nothing in it for you at that particular moment.
2: So that's interesting, you know, to to reflect on 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 those comments. When when you're looking at sales, and, and in general, you know, whether it's a, a product or a service, people are buying value. So is is that where you're where, where you're going with that? Is if you're providing value to that potential customer, there and, and you've built some rapport, they're gonna take that opportunity to potentially buy from you
1: well you see in sales part of it is trying to sell to the right the appropriate person so if you're selling a service that costs ten thousand dollars there's no point in going out to someone who's only going to have a hundred dollar budget like that's a waste of time so it's not just a matter of making a hundred calls it's a matter of making a hundred of the right calls so getting to the right audience and knowing what your right audience is and one way to do that i'm a big believer in a b testing try um calling on 50 dentists and try calling on 50 doctors at the same time and find out, oh, the doctors buy, the dentists don't. Oh, let's spend all our time on doctors. They like the approach of uh, sending email or they like the approach of uh, calling. They like the approach of, give me a free white paper. So figure out what approach works for each one. And it can be different. It's it's completely appropriate to sell to multiple niches. So I'm gonna sell to both dentists and doctors. And when I approach the dentist, I'm gonna say, here's a free white paper on tooth whitening, but I'm not gonna say that to the doctors.
2: And looking at the pandemic, and, and I'd say we're still in a pandemic, a global pandemic, and, and you know, we'll soon move to hopefully to a post-pandemic world. How can entrepreneurs win? What, 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 do, what opportunity exists here for, for entrepreneurs to really think about things a little differently in, in this pandemic and post-pandemic world? Well, I have to say the pandemic is horrific and terrible,
1: but it is an entrepreneur's dream. It's a total entrepreneur because what do entrepreneurs want? We want change because where there's a change, we can slide in and, and do something. And you've seen that during the pandemic. There are some restaurants in your city which are thriving. They figured out how to do the takeout. They figured out how to do the skip the dishes, the Uber Eats and stuff like that. And they're doing well. And you have the other ones that went bankrupt. But there is a change and there will be a change post-pandemic. Like one, It's kind of like climate change. I'm, I don't like climate change. I, I hate climate change, I'm an environmentalist, but I believe in climate change. What does that mean? It means I can sell products that relate to climate change. And I can, I, I, I mean, I, I make air conditioners, for window air conditioners. Well, you know that everyone out West now needs window air conditioners, where 10 years ago, no one out West needed an air conditioner. Why do you need a way air conditioner? But look at the last two or three summers, people need <laughs> air conditioners. So I can profit from that change. And the same is true of pandemic. It's just a matter of thinking what changes post-pandemic. And there's lots of changes and it depends on your industry and which ones you can capitalize, which ones you have competitive advantages around. Great. Uh,
2: So speaking of change and and looking at these sales teams, these high-performing sales teams with with these entrepreneurs, there's so many sales tools out out on the marketplace today. and, And whether it's data analytics or CRMs, have you found what what would you say is your most valuable sales tool for a, a scaling for scaling your business?
1: Well, the most valuable sales tool is the most boring. And <laughs> and it's LinkedIn. That is the most, like if if I'm doing a call with someone, I look on their LinkedIn, find out what their background is. If I want to get in touch with a company, I will connect to people on LinkedIn. I will connect to people who are connected to people on LinkedIn. If I want to get a meeting with the CEO at Home Depot, I maybe can't get to that, but I can get to a store manager who gets. And so LinkedIn is a great prospecting tool. LinkedIn is a great way to keep in touch. LinkedIn is a great way to do research on a company. It's just like uh, I wouldn't have a, a meeting with a company without looking at their website Well, may as well look at their LinkedIn and it takes all of two minutes, one minute. It's, it's, it's way easier, way
2: faster than, than anything else. That's fantastic. I, I'm a big LinkedIn fan as well. It's, it's interesting to see the tools there and, you know, you, you try the free option and then, and then all of a sudden you go to the pro version and all of a sudden you're getting all these opportunities to connect with, with people around the world real time. So it's, it's fantastic. So, Jim, we're going we're gonna to transition now into our Endeavor segment, which is, is where we've outlined some interesting questions to ask each of our guests. And I don't know if you've had the opportunity to meet Linda Rottenberg, our, our founder in person, but she always says, call me crazy. Crazy is a compliment. So we like to ask our guests on our show, what has been your call me crazy moment? Um,
1: so I have had so many call me crazy moments. It has to do with the fail off and fail fast, fail cheap, or having a failure does not make me a failure. And so everybody thinks I'm crazy. The most recent one was in pandemic. We of course make appliances. We assembled 10,000 ventilators. That's crazy, but it's not crazy we need the world needed the ventilators. We, we supplied the labor. We needed the, uh, the labor absorption. And that was uh, one call me crazy. And I love her expression. I always say to people, I'm eccentric. And it's a compliment to say that I'm eccentric. And if you call me normal, that is like, are you, I don't insult you. Why would you insult me?
2: Well, that's that's fantastic. Just an amazing, you know, pivot with your business to get into ventilators and obviously saving lives, you know, across our country and and across the world as well. So thank you for that. Last few questions. Rapid fire. My favorites here that that we like to ask all our guests. Name a company and CEO that most inspires you. Uh, Frank Hasenfratz
1: from Linamar Machines. Started Mm -hmm. from zero. I think they do about 10 billion in sales. I know in my small community they have 10,000 employees. I'm sure they have 20 worldwide, maybe more. I love it. What are you reading or listening to now? Uh so right now I'm listen I'm reading uh Nomadland,
2: which I which I love and it's it it has social implications. It looks like I'm going to be going on to Amazon to order a new book. <laughs> What's some of the best businesses, business advice you've, you have ever received?
1: Uh, the best business advice is you need to sell internally as well as externally. And when I sold my business, I remained on and I was CEO and they weren't allowing me to do what I needed to do. Now, that was depressing me. So a friend of me said, well, that's because you're not selling internally. And once you
2: change your mindset to sell internally, it works. Well. Thank you, Jim. This has been a fantastic conversation. And I just want to thank you again for, for taking the time to join us today on The Multiplier Effect. And we just really appreciate you taking the time and, and such an interesting conversation and, and very interesting insight. So thank you, Jim. Thank you, Chris.
0: Special thanks for listening to this episode with us today. For more information on this episode, you can head to our website at the org. See you next week for an all new episode focused on hiring for scale.